division and schisms in the church based on their uh, failure to keep the message of the cross as the centerpiece of the church. And uh, this morning we're in chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And we know from the end of verse 9 that this passage is not necessarily uh, about building our spiritual lives, but about building the church. When Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. Um, if, there has, if there's a major application in this to all who have responsibilities within the local congregation. And of course, it, it, it is true how we build our lives in our daily walk with Christ and our spiritual disciplines and such things. Uh, living in obedience to God's word. This does have a powerful uh, and profound impact on the health of a local church. But the focus here is not primarily on individuals. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Paul describes himself as a skilled master builder. Now that word master builder is all one word in the original Greek. And what it, what it translated into English uh, as architect but it's an architect not that just designs the building, but also builds the building. And so Paul describes himself as this. And, and once again, Paul is reminding them of his own initial ministry there in Corinth in order to underline the principles upon which he acted. So what Paul's doing here, he, he is, he is uh, and we're going to see him do this even more so later on, defending his apostleship. And he's saying, though, he said, but as he's already said earlier, I am nothing. He said, Apollos is nothing. He said, one plants, one waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. And so uh, Paul's uh, role was to lay the foundation. And then others would be building upon it. But Paul makes it clear to us that there's only one true foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ, Christ himself. And so his role was to lay this foundation. And Paul's primary concern is that they're discontent. This church in Corinth, they, they were discontented in the fact that they, they, they didn't have a lot of movers and shakers in the congregation. They, they weren't having much of an impact on the culture there in Corinth. And, and they were they were dis disheartened by this. They may have had a small congregation. And Paul says, you've got your focus all in the wrong place. And so his primary concern was that their discontent would lead them to imagine that they could build something different from that which the foundation dictates. And so Paul here is, is warning them against this. And as he said, the only true foundation is the gospel of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. 
That's the foundation upon which the church is laid. And this foundation determines the shape of the whole structure. If the church is to be Christ-like, the church must be built on Christ alone. If it's built on anything else, and today we see, and, and we'll talk about this later, but we see today that the church is being built upon many, many different things other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have said to you many times before, we as a local congregation, we cannot be built upon anything but Christ. And that's, that's the only thing that will cause the building to be a true church. There can be no true Christianity without Christ. You know, it's interesting. Did you know that you can take Allah out of Islam and still have Islam? You can take Buddha out of Buddhism and still have Buddhism. But when you remove Christ from Christianity, you have no Christianity. And so if Christ is not the basis of whatever set uh, a sort of moral life a person may try to live, then it is not the Christian life. I have met many people in my life, and, and, and especially during the time of my ministry, that uh, I would sit down with and I would talk to and share the gospel with, proclaim the message of Christ that, that would tell me, you know, I believe that as long as a person lives a good moral life, they'll be saved. That's not biblical. Now, there are many people out there that live good moral lives that don't know Christ. A good moral life can lead you straight into hell. And that's where Paul's pointing. If, if, if a good moral life is based on anything other than Christ, then it is not the Christian life. And if Christ is not the basis of it, uh, of, of whatever sort of community we may try to build, then that community is not a Christian church. The sufficiency of the gospel of Christ, the sufficiency of it. When Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The sufficiency of the gospel of Christ is the issue that's at stake here in Corinth. It's the issue that's at stake in every church today. And... and Paul is fighting against the view that the gospel is somehow inadequate. That we must do something else to bring people to Christ. There must be some other way, something we can do to add to it. And when you begin to add to it, then it becomes not what it's supposed to be. And there is no what, nothing, uh, the, the gospel is completely adequate and it does not need to be supplemented by anything else. You know, and, and Paul says, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Paul says there. He doesn't say that the foundation are the teachings of Jesus or the preaching of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus. The foundation is Christ himself. He is that. Listen, we need to understand, Jesus did not come primarily to give us joy, or to give us peace, or to even give us eternal life. Jesus came to be our joy and our peace and our eternal life. 
When you have him, you have all of that. And so Paul says, this is the only sure foundation. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will indicate it because it is revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Now listen, throughout the Bible, God has used rewards as a, as a means to motivate us to, to be faithful to him. Now, now here's the thing. Someday, every believer in Christ will stand before him and receive a reward. And that's a wonderful thing. But listen, we not we work not for the reward itself, because you know what we're going to do with those rewards? We're going to turn and we're going to cast them back at his feet because only he is worthy. And so Paul here is using this, though, as a motivation. The wise builder not only lays the right foundation, but he also builds with quality materials. Quality materials, you cannot cut corners in this. And he does so realizing that his work will be tested in the future. Now here, Paul is talking about our works. Now I'm going to talk more about that here in a minute, but that's what he's talking about. The question is not whether it looks impressive, but whether it will stand the test of time. And especially the test of God's judgment. Someday, every single one of us will stand before Christ. Paul talked about this in Romans. We're going to talk more about this later on, uh, probably next week. One day, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of his life. Now, it won't be about sin. That's a, that's a settled issue. Our sins are gone. But we will bear be judged according to what we have done for him, the works that we have done. Uh, it is inappropriate to build a temple. With wood, hay, and straw, Paul says. Now, listen, you know, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with wood, hay, and stubble. There are even instances where those things can be used. But here's the thing. Nothing wrong with them, but they are inferior, inferior materials to be used to build a temple. A place where God meets with his people. Paul says when they go through the fire, you see the judgment is the fire. When they go through the fire, the, the, the wood, hay, and the stubble, it, it, it just burns up. It's a, poof, uh, a puff of smoke. It's gone. And Paul says, be careful what you build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, these are chosen not so much to make the point of their value, but of their flammability. You know what happens when the wood, hay, and, the, and the, the, the straw goes through the fire? It's burned up. But what happens when the gold goes through the fire? It's purified. And so Paul here is saying, uh, he, he's speaking of our works. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Everybody knows this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. So we are not saved by our works. But read on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what Paul here is talking about is when the, the, the works that we do in the building of God's church. When God's day of judgment brings to light the quality of each man's work, it will be revealed, he says there in verse 13, by fire. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will indicate it, because it is revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, here, here's all Paul's saying right here. Is that you and I, and, and you know, he's speaking here especially. To those who are preachers and those who are teachers in the church. But he speaks to all of us in everything because we all have a ministry in the church. Every person has a part to play in this congregation. You know that, don't you? You have been gifted by God. How you use that gift to edify and encourage the church. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, but look, give God your best. Don't cut corners. Don't be lazy. Don't be apathetic. He says, give God all the best because one day it's going to pass through the fire. And only that which is done for the glory of God is going to survive the test. And as I said, this judgment that Paul talks about, it's not about the salvation of the builder. Our salvation is secured in Christ. Paul's not talking about sin here. But applying this to the Corinthian situation, Paul's meaning is that the fundamental weakness of the church may cause it to be built in a way that it will not last. When you build a church based on whatever youth programs you have in that church, when you build a church based on whether or not the preacher is a great preacher, when you build that church based on whether you have a wonderful music program, you are building that church with one hand stubble. That the church must be built upon one single thing, one foundation, Jesus Christ crucified. That's it. <clears throat> I remember... Years ago, when I was pastor of a church, I had a, this couple who had a teenage daughter in the church. And this young lady, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, she, she loved coming to church. She would sing in the choir. She, she loved to be involved in vacation Bible school, just doing all of this. And then just all of a sudden, she, be, she began to change. She, be, she began to dress in a way that was not very modest. Her parents began to have trouble with her. Now, I know that sounds like every teenager in the world, but <laughs> she just began to be different. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. They would try to talk to her. And finally, they came and they sat down with me and they brought the young lady and, and uh, she just sat there and didn't say a word. And as I listened to the parents tell about all the changes, I looked at the young girl and I said, what's his name? And she smiled. And told us his name. And I said, so you did all of this to impress a boy? She said, yes. And I looked at her and I said, I want to tell you something. What you get him with is what you got to keep him with. And listen, that applies to the church. What we bring them with is what we got to keep them with. If they come because you have a great youth program, well, what if that youth program goes away? 
If you, cut, if you bring them because you have a great pastor or a great preacher, what's going to happen if he leaves? They're going to leave. There's only one thing that will bring them and keep them, and that is the message of Christ crucified. Jesus is the only way that can do this. So applying this, Paul says, uh, be sure what you're building with. They were looking for a perfect church that would make an impression on the glitzy culture of Corinth. You know, Charles Spurgeon one time says, if you're looking for a perfect church, and if you ever find it, don't join it and ruin it. But listen, there is no perfect church this side of heaven. There is none. But Paul wants them to recognize that they need to be building a church that will stand in judgment. the day now, we of need to judgment. Now we Jesus need to understand the one Jesus said, is the one who said, I will build my will church. Build my Jesus church. is building Jesus the church. Is building but he's the church. using us but he's to using do it. He's using, our, he's using uh, our gifts uh, that he has gifted us with and the ultimate victory of the church. Victory of the church. We need to understand the we need ultimate, ultimate victory of the church will be experienced in the eternal. Not in the here and now. Not in the here and now. People look at a church. People look at a church, and they say it filled and up they with say it people. Filled up with people, and they say, "Now and they there's say, a successful there's church." A successful church. Well, according to who? Well, according to who? Based on what? Based on what? Not according to the word. Not of God. according to the word of God. A successful church, a successful according, church to according to the word of God, is the faithfulness of God's and, people. And understanding, and, and that, understanding the that the ultimate victory will be experienced in the eternal perspective, and not necessarily, and not necessarily in the context in of the context work of the ministry. Work the ministry. more that the, the church in Corinth relied on the wisdom of the world, with its rhetoric and its powerful leaders, then they were, then they were, the more they, the more they saw supernatural, supernatural power. They wanted to see they wanted to see miraculous things, things happen. And we still see that in and some we still see that today. in some churches today. The danger, the danger was that they had become was that they so had become with so the gifts with the gifts such as prophecy, and, tongues, prophecy and, and tongues knowledge and that realized that realizing that all those were passing away they're perishable they're perishable Paul says Paul says later on we're going to see where he talks about the gifts of the spirit and, and, spirit. and in talking about and in talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues speaking in tongues he says these things will cease they'll stop they're going to come to an end they're going to come to an end Perfect when this which is perfect is come. Listen, we don't need Listen, that. Listen, we don't need you know that today. You know why? We have this. We have this. A more sure word. A more sure prophecy. word of prophecy. The, the word of God. The, the word of God. And this has come. And this and so, has come. And so churches that are churches that are material with such material gospel than on the gospel of Christ crucified and the love that it produces will be in danger will be in of neglecting, neglecting the one foundation. Now, if you've ever built now, a house, you've ever built a house or had a house built or had a house built. Never done that, but you know this is a truth right here. This is a truth right here. The first thing, one the most first thing, one most important thing about that building, building is what the foundation is like. You know, Jesus told a. You know, Jesus told he a. He said parable. there were two men. He said there were two men. One built a house. On one the built sand. a house on the sand. And one built a house and on one the built rock. a house on the rock. He said, and when the storms he said, came, when the, the storms one that was on the sand was washed away. Was washed away. The one that was on the rock. The one that was on the rock. Firm. Firm. And Paul tells us that Paul tells us that that rock. Is Christ? Is Christ? It is Christ. It is Christ. So we need to be careful. So we need to be careful what we're building. This foundation. This foundation. These were the challenges that we need to apply to our current situation. 
Will the churches Will that are the founded, churches upon, that are the founded biblical biblical upon the gospel continue, biblical continue gospel in that tradition, continue in that tradition or, will we continue or will we continue to build to with, build inferior, with inferior materials? Jesus has promised. Jesus has promised on this rock, on this I rock, will build my I will church, build and, the my church and the gates will of hell not prevail, will against not prevail against it. We are a community of believers. We are a family of God. We gather here we in this, gather local, here congregation, in this local congregation, and here's the thing, if you are a born-again in Jesus Christ, gifted, gifted by, the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, many people have more, many than, people one have gift. more than one but whatever gift. Your gift. But whatever is, your gift is, what Paul's getting what what are you doing getting with it? What are you are doing you with using it? it? Are you using it? Are you using it? Are and you that using gift it? Is not and that for gift you, is not way. for you, by the it's way. It's for the rest of us. It's for the rest of My us. My gift is not for me. It's, it's not for everybody. Me. It's for everybody. The gifts that he, the gifts that he, say, look, be careful how you build. What are you doing with what God has given to you? God has given to you. That's what the day of That's judgment. That's what the day of judgment is going to be for. It's going to be when I stand before Christ and on the day of judgment, and He says, "I gifted you with the ability to preach and teach." What do you do with it? How'd you use it? Why did you use it? What was your motivation? Did you do it to glorify me? Did you do it to edify the people in the congregation? Or did you do it because you liked everybody looking at you? Did you do it because you liked hearing people say, oh, you're a good preacher? See, he's going to, and see, those are going to determine whether I receive rewards or not. So we have to look at why do we do what we do? You know, I will never forget... As a young Christian, one of the most terrifying things I ever learned about Christianity or about my walk with Christ is that Jesus is not so much primarily interested in what I do as he is in why I do it. Why are you here this morning? Is it because it's Sunday? Is it because you know I'll call and bug you and say, why won't you at church? Why are you here? Are you here because you come and you say, I want to hear a word from God. I want to worship God. I want to glorify God. That's why I'm here. I want the world to know where I stand and who I am in Christ. These are the kinds of things that Paul is talking about. And so uh, the danger is that we become obsessed with all the things that don't matter. Let me rephrase that. The, the danger is that we become obsessed with all the things that are not as important as the main thing. And the main thing is Christ crucified. Will we continue to build on, our, on, on the foundation that's laid with the finest materials? Wisdom, power, spiritual gifts are not the foundation of a New Testament church. The true foundation is Jesus Christ Crucified, And we need to regain that understanding as the fundamental, non-negotiable reality of church life and growth. You know, there's two kinds of church growth. And there's one type of church growth that is much more important than the other kind of church growth. There is a church growth where people come in and they fill the pews. But the other one is much more important. It's the kind of growth where you as a believer and I as a believer, where we hear the word of God preached and taught and we study and we meditate on word and we read the word and I begin to grow in Christ. You begin to grow in Christ. You know, I told you, uh, now many of you weren't here, most of you weren't here, when I first came here, that my primary goal 
is to see you grow in Christ. That I, that I see you begin to mature in the faith and begin to look more and more like Christ. That's why I preach. That's why I teach. Because I want to see that happen. And Paul, that's what he's saying to these co- church in Corinth. Listen, he, this, this is, if you read this and you saw this church, you would say, that don't look like much of a church to me. I mean, they had sin just running rampant throughout this church. There was sexual immorality. There was spiritual pride. There were people who were getting drunk, leaving out the poor. And we would look at that and say, well, that's not much of a church. I don't think that's a real church. And Paul says, well, I'm calling them my brothers because they are. He said, but they're, they're on the wrong path. And I, I want to, Paul's goal is, he says, I want to see you grow in Christ. I want to see you grow in the faith and mature. And he said, but you got to start with the right foundation. And you can't deviate from that foundation. You know, if you're going to build a house and you lay out the concrete, you lay out the concrete foundation and then you begin to put the and then walls you begin to put the, the walls up made out of paper, up made out of paper, you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? It ain't going to stand. It ain't going to stand. First good wind that comes along is going to knock it down. If that don't, here lately, just a spark will light it and it'll burn up. But we try. We try to build a church on things other than the good gold, silver, precious stones that God has given to us. And when we do, it will not last. It is exactly in this area that we are tempted to drift away in every generation. Throughout, from the very beginning, that we, we see that the church, you know, this church in, in Corinth. I, you know, one of the things I love about this letter to, from to, the very to the Corinth, First Corinthians, is this. The church, you know, this church in Corinth. I have seen you know, in churches I, where there have been some division and some trouble, and 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 you know, Satan attack a church, and people begin to attack one another, and this and that, and people just their hands up, say, you know what, this is not what church is supposed to be like. This is not a New Testament church. I'm leaving. And somebody told me one time in, in a situation like that, and they said, this is not a New Testament church. And I said, well, you need to read 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians is worse than we are. Worse than what we have going on. So we have to understand that just because these things happen, usually these things happen because they are a New Testament church. But we're told that people don't want to hear the message of the cross because it's, it's humbling, it's demanding, and unacceptable to the wise men of this age. I think I might have mentioned to you last week or the week before about Oprah. You know, I use her a lot. She said she left church because she just could not believe in a God that would send anybody to hell. Because that's how she felt. But I got news for you. God doesn't care how she feels. God doesn't care how we feel. We must stand upon the truth of the word of God. And listen, when you preach the word of God, when you preach the message of the cross, Jesus crucified. I want to tell you something, folks. You're going to make more enemies than friends. 
You're going to find that the world will not lovingly wrap their arms around you and say, oh, thank you, thank you. Someone asked Stephen Lawson. Someone asked him, said, what's wrong with preachers today? (laughs) He said, nobody wants to kill them anymore. He said, that's what's wrong with them. Listen, the world today, the church in Corinth, they said, look, this message of Christ crucified is pushing people away. It's not bringing them into the church. So let's modify it. Let's, let, let's do something different. You know, let, let, let's hire this youth pastor to come in. And, and uh, by the way, you know, there's no such thing as a youth pastor, right? But anyway, that's what they call him. But he said, let's bring him in. That way we can get the youth. You know what? If you bring the youth in, you'll get the parents in. That doesn't work, by the way. Or I'll tell you what, let's hire us, let's get us a worship team. Now, there's nothing wrong with a worship team. Unless that's what you're using to bring people in. And this is what he's talking about here. You see, it's, it, it has never been any different throughout the, ch- the history of the church. It's always been like this. It's always been the gospel is too harsh. The gospel is too hard. When Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You can't tell people that. They'll leave. So let's just tell them that God loves them no matter what. That God accepts them the way they are. It's all lies. God does not accept them the way they are. God... uh, will not accept them the way that they are, and he does not love them the way that they are. Listen, gospel work is hard work, and it always has been. People are resistant. The opposition is strong. You and I must get this into our minds. Our current culture, even within the church in America, has gotten away from this one thing right here. No one wants to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear it. They will be resistant to it. There will be opposition. But we need to have the conviction that it is the quality of each man's work that God is concerned with and not the apparent outward success. You see, God calls us to go out and proclaim the message of the gospel. That's all we're called to do. All God's looking for is faithfulness. God said, what did Paul say? He says, you plant, you water, but it's God that gives the increase. So you see what happened there? God has said this. He says, look, you go out. I give you the ability to go out and water. I give you the ability to go out and to one to go out and plant, one to go out and water. God says, but I'll take care of the results. That's not up to you. And I am so glad of that. You know, when I look back over my ministry, which began like 1991, 92, something like that. And I look back, I I was thinking about this when I was preparing this message. I, I thought, you know what, let me look back over my ministry, especially the years that I've been preaching. Do you know that I can count on one hand the number of people that I have seen truly come to know Christ through my efforts to preach and teach the gospel? And I, only, I don't even need all five fingers. And I thought, is that good or bad? 
I mean, shouldn't there be more? But then I look at, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the word of God. Somebody like Noah. Preached 120 years. And had not one single convert. Except his own family. That's it. God is not interested in the results that I produce. He's interested in our faithfulness. You do what I have gifted you and called you to do within the confines of your local church. Build the church through the gifts that I have given you. One problem is that we don't always find it easy to discern the subtle quick-fix methods which we're often tempted with, but which actually deny the power found only in the gospel. We are called to proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's it. If they don't want to hear that, we don't have any other message for them. You understand that? We can't modify that message so that they will be more appealing to them. We can't modify that message so that it will be more likable for them. We can't do that. Today we are offered the church as an entertainment center. A place where you can come, you can sit, you can be told, you can live your best life now. God loves you. He wants you to have everything in life you ever wanted. Now go, enjoy. And it's the broad road to destruction. That's where it leads. The congregation gathers in order, in order to evaluate those who are up front. You know, many times in churches we see it like this, that you're the audience and, and, and those of us who stand up here, we're the, we're the reason you come to listen to us, to evaluate us. Are we any good? Did you like the way we sing? Do you like the way we preach? And that's not it at all. We have only one audience, and that's God. We're here for Him. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I just didn't get anything out of that worship service. And I remember one time a guy told me that, and I looked at him and I said, Good, it wasn't for you. It was for God. He said, oh no, I'm here to, you, you need to make me feel good. Make me uh, feel better about the world I live in. I said, no, my job is to make you feel bad. Did you know that? <laughs> to tell you that the Bible says that you're a sinner bound for hell. And that Jesus Christ is the only answer. But when you have churches that are nothing more than entertainment places and the congregation just gathers to evaluate those on the stage in such a situation, there's always an excitement. They go out on a high. They're longing for more inspiration. But seldom are they sobered by the message of the cross. I pray 
that the day never comes that I stand behind a pulpit and a lost person sits in a church and hears me preach the gospel and walks away and says, oh, that was wonderful. I have found that the best, one of the best indications that I am truly being faithful to the word of God is when people tell me I'm never coming back here. We need to be sobered by the message of the cross. And perhaps the most popular form is the church as a, as a health farm uh, with a feel-good factor. And what is lacking is the recognition of the total sufficiency of Christ crucified in love for God and for our neighbor. Listen, do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ himself is sufficient? Do we believe that? How we conduct ourselves in a worship service and in our, our, our uh, uh, service in this church will indicate that. Do we believe that we must preach the gospel as it is? Regardless of how they respond. I have lost friends in the past because I refused to compromise on what the gospel says. I have lost family members because I refused to compromise on what the gospel is. That you must understand that you are a sinner bound for hell, rightly under the wrath of God. That there is no good in us. Nothing. And that unless we repent and turn to Christ. We will perish. The servant heart in the church has been replaced by the consumer mentality. And, I, and I've said this before. That today, especially in America. The church has become consumer driven. Find out what the people want, then give it to them and they'll come in. Well, I'll tell you what they want. They want a God that will love them no matter what. They want a God that doesn't hold anything against them. They want a God that's going to send everybody to heaven. But that's not the God of the Bible. We can give them that. But you know what we're giving them? Lies. I remember I used to know a young lady that had a ministry. That she would have folks in the church bring items, that clothing and, and, and household appliances, whatever they had that they just didn't need anymore. And then she would put together a thing and she would invite people that were homeless or just didn't have much to come in get whatever they wanted and do all of this. And, and, I, and I asked her one day, I was in there, and, and I said, do you have any tracks or anything around here? She said, what do you mean? I said, anything that, you know, points them to Christ. She said, well, that's not why I'm doing this. And I said, so basically what you're telling me is, all you're doing is making the world a better place to go to hell from. 
She said, well, but my, that's not why I'm doing this. You know, that, that's the preacher's job. No, it's not. I don't care whether you're building a house or mowing the yard. You need to do it to the glory of God and everything. And so Paul's teaching reminds us that whenever we put leaders on a pedestal and start to follow human leaders, whenever we allow gifts and experiences to be the focus of the church, rather than love for God, then we begin or we cease to build wisely. Paul says, be a wise builder. Now I'm going to tell you something about being a wise builder. I know absolutely nothing about building a house. And if I was going to build a house, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find somebody that does. Because that's what a wise builder would do. Now, if you want it painted, I know what I'm doing. Unfortunately. But listen what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, look, stop focusing on these human leaders. Stop focusing on what, uh, how big your congregation is. Stop focusing on all these little things. Keep your focus on Christ crucified. And the world will hate you for it. <laughs> That's right. They'll hate you for it. But here's the thing. One day I'm going to stand before Christ. And he's going to say, Bobby, I put you in a position there at the chapel. I, I, I put you in a position as an under-shepherd. What did you do? What did you teach them? What did you tell them about me? Did you preach with an agenda other than mine? Did you preach? Did you teach in a way that would make people like you? You know, I've, I've said this before. Sometimes I lose sight of this, unfortunately, but... And I hope you understand where I'm coming. I'm not here for you to like me. I'm here for you to hear God's word. And let's build wisely. Let's use the gifts that God has given to each one of us. And say, Lord, help us to build with gold, silver, Precious stones. These things that will be purified through the fire. These things that will last. These things that will hold up under the pressure. And let us be faithful. Not just faithful in exercising the gifts that he's given to us. But above all, let us be faithful to preach the truth of the gospel of Christ crucified. We don't amend it. We don't change it. We preach it as it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this church. Thank you, Father, for building this church in this place. Giving us a place where we can come. I thank you for each and every one that's here this morning. Father, I thank you for every member of the chapel. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to remain steadfast in our proclamation of the truth of the gospel proclaiming the message that has the power to save those that are lost and Lord I ask you this morning that if there's one here one listening that does not know Christ 
That, Father, this morning you might give them life. That they may see their sin. Repent of their sin and turn to Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray that you would help us. That we would seek to ultimately glorify you in everything that we do. That whether we're preaching, teaching, singing, fellowship, whatever's going on, Lord, that we would do it to glorify your name. For what's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and turn to hymn 94.